You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge, life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. here as we embark in a very new era for Santa Clara County. It's been decades in the making, but finally this weekend, the 10-mile BART extension into Santa Clara County is opening up for passengers. So we started many years ago, and we're here today thanks to the hard work of men and women that made it possible. For the many South Bay Civic leaders who have been toiling away for years to make it happen, this is a moment of celebration. Thank you. We did it. But opening up in the middle of a pandemic, well, it means there's a lot of uncertainty about just where this train is headed. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth. And today in the program, of course, it's not just BART. There's uncertainty for all forms of transit here in the Bay Area. So we're going to be discussing how the region is going to get around as it begins to open back up from the lockdown. Joining us to guide us through this conversation on all things transit, we are happy to welcome on Randy Rentschler. He is the Director of Legislation and Public Affairs for the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. Randy Rentschler, welcome to KCBS In-Depth. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to come back to this BART extension in a second, because there's a long story behind it and there's a lot that we can say. But let's take the thousand foot view to start off our conversation. Fair to say that as a close transit watcher uh, that you are, fair to say right now that this is a time of great disruption for Bay Area transit? Well, it certainly is. I think it's unlike anything we've ever seen before, both in its uh, duration, uh, the impact, and also the sense of the uncertainty uh, looking forward. And so when we talk about something like BART, they have seen a precipitous decline in ridership over the course of the last several months. I think that they dipped down to a mere 10% of their normal ridership at times. Now we are just beginning to see the glimmer of folks beginning to make the trek back to work each day. A lot of drivers are beginning to notice that their commutes are starting to take long and that familiar Bay Area uh, new evening and morning drag of a ride, it's starting back up again. So what are the numbers telling you? What does that picture look like in terms of uh, how much traffic declined and how much it's come back so far? So look, these are really good questions. And I think one way to think about it is that the observer of traffic is really experiencing a disproportionate effect on their life. So what that means is when traffic goes down just a little bit, it vastly improves a person's experience and vice versa. If traffic comes up just a little bit, it can have a dramatic impact on the feeling of congestion. So here's an example. Right now, traffic on the Bay Area toll bridges is approaching 75% of its prior pre-COVID-19 traffic levels. But most people perceive that, hey, man, the freeways are free flowing and it feels great. But when we get a few more percentage of of, uh, traffic back on those bridges, um, people are going to feel it right away and they're going to feel like, wow, the congestion has come roaring back. But really, it's happening very slowly. But that impact will be felt uh, over just a very short period of time. So it just it doesn't take much to make the traffic situation bad in the Bay Area. 
It really doesn't. And one of the reasons that we have metering lights to get onto the freeways, those ramp metering lights, is because if we can hold back a little bit of that traffic, that freeway will perform way better. And so that perception that people have right now that the Bay Area, uh, you know, all the traffic's gone is, is partially true, but it's also not true. It's coming back. And very shortly, we're likely to have the experience of, of feeling that congestion like we used to have uh, before this COVID-19 thing hit. Just on a personal note, as a reporter who doesn't just have to commute in the morning and the evening, who actually has to con- commute from story to story throughout the day, I have really, really, really enjoyed this time of diminished traffic. <laughs> uh, it has well, been shockingly nice. Yeah, well, enjoy it now because it's gonna. It's very likely. And look, we're going to get into it later, but it's very likely to come to an abrupt halt here very shortly. Oh, man. You are uh, you are singing a sad tune right now. Well, <laughs> well. So t- tell us what that picture looks like because I think that there is uh, a, there's a lot of factors at play. Obviously, on the one hand, we are hearing from people that it may get worse because so many people are going to be afraid to ride on public transportation, and so they're just going to be getting back into their cars. And on the other hand, there's a lot of office workers that just aren't going to go back into their office. So presumably, they're just off the road road off the transit entirely. Where do you think we're headed? Are we headed for potentially an even worse transit situation than we had before? Look, I think there's a pretty strong case to be made that we're going to have some Carmageddon, as folks might all fear, in some corridor. So I'll explain that. And then in other cases, I think it's going to be happening to other people and not you, so to say. So let me just outline some examples. In really heavily uh, transit uh, used corridor, such as the Bay Bridge corridor, getting into San Francisco. Something on the order of 60% of all commuters got into San Francisco in that corridor on public transit, either on park or on a bus or in a carpool or on a ferry. And we didn't put a, no, a new Bay Bridge in, so we only still have five lanes. And as you pointed out earlier, I think a lot of people, the numbers are showing it, and I think likely will continue to be very hesitant to get back on public transit. They might be hesitant to get in a carpool with strangers either. And if that's the case, in corridors like that one, uh, we are very concerned about what's coming. In other cases, let's just say 101 between San Jose and Gilroy, but that's not a heavily transit rich market. Uh, Caltrain carries a handful of people. There's a few buses. People always drove in that corridor. And I think people's experience post-COVID as we open up will likely be very similar to what it was. I think a mitigating factor in all of this, as you alluded to, is what are the big employers going to do? Have people discovered that they can do a great deal of their work in this remote form? Or have they discovered that there's limits to this remote form and they want to get back? Or are we going to find ourselves somewhere in the middle? Uh, If that occurs, I think for a lot of people in non-transit corridors are going to likely find their return to be better uh, than it was prior to prior to March. So there is no one Bay Area traffic experience. It really kind of depends on the local conditions and, and what slog you in particular are going through. Yeah. So, you know, the 101 corridor is a really good example. Uh, right now, uh, that corridor is heavy south of San Jose. It's heavy north of Marin. And, and it was before COVID-19. So right now we have data that shows that those corridors 
are seeing a great amount of the traffic returning. Highway 101 between San Jose and San Francisco, however, where all those tech companies are, and most of them have allowed their employees to work at home, that corridor right now is really free flowing. So I would encourage you as a reporter to drive that corridor <laughs> right now because, because you can make some time on it. Um, it's also a pretty heavily uh, uh, transit rich corridor. It has Caltrain there, it has BART going down to the airport. And um, right now, none of those services uh, have very much ridership on them at all. So I think when the employers come back in that corridor, uh, we're likely to see traffic significantly increase because I think this reluctance to get on public transit, which is a worldwide phenomenon, uh, and also the transit operators themselves are likely to need to impose social distancing. They're likely going to have everyone wear masks. Even if everyone was rushing to come back, managing uh, the congestion on transit is going to be a big challenge. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, dive into some of those public transit issues in just a second. First, want to remind anybody who's just joining us that you are listening to KCBS In-Depth, our weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. Today, as Bay Area residents head back to work, just how are they going to get there? We consider the changing shape of transit during this pandemic. Joining me for that conversation, we have on right now Randy Rentschler. He is the Director of Legislation and Public Affairs for the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. So let's uh, go back to BART, because that is honestly quite a big story, especially for a South Bay boy such as myself. I grew up in Milpitas, and we had been hearing about that BART extension for decades and decades and decades. My parents told me that when they moved into the house that they now live in, before I was born, they moved there in full expectation that BART was going to be joining them there any day. Uh, Here we are 30 years later, and we are just getting the extension into Milpitas. Tell us a little bit about that story. The Santa Clara County was not in the uh, BART district, so it kind of took a strange path to make this all happen. Well, it certainly did. Excuse me. And your parents are right. Any day, it just might happen. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it did take a long time uh, to get there. I think, as you point out, this is a very important moment, uh, not just for San Jose, uh, but residents across the whole Bay Area to have BART, which is the Bay Area's most significant transit system for most people. Muni carries more people, but BART has way more geography and touches so many more people. Um, getting BART down to San Jose has been a long-term goal, not just of San Jose, but um, civic leaders around the entire Bay Area have prioritized getting federal money and state money uh, to get to not just the county of Santa Clara, but to the city of San Jose. And we're kind of halfway there with the events that are gonna unfold in the next couple of weeks with service being down there. I think as you also point out, the timing here is is very odd. I mean, not only is this, you know, an incredibly unique event that's affecting everyone's life, but you know, we're opening up a system right in the midst of it. And so I think at first uh, the system is gonna underperform, uh, but you know, as as we see our way through this pandemic, I'm not trying to predict the future. Um, if past is prologue, then we're going to have a lot of ridership on that line. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting irony that you wait for decades and decades and decades for this to finally open. And when it does open, passengers may not actually be there. What is, that's an interesting statement you said just a second ago. So it has historically been the case that extensions on BART have been uh, had the ridership that they've needed? 
Well, you know, that they have. Um, there's so much latent demand and so much congestion across the whole Bay Area. You know, ridership on the line going into San Mateo County down to the airport, built very quickly. BART extensions on the east on the eastern sides of Contra Costa and Alameda County have grown very quickly. Uh, the Bay Area is also the home to uh, not so much the home, but the destination of a lot of super commuters. So people who live really far away drive and park at BART stations, let's say near Livermore on the 580 corridor and get on BART and take the rest of their trip in. So at this point, every time BART has extended its service, it has seen the trains get filled as a result. I mean, interestingly enough, uh, the more BART extends out, the harder it is for people, let's say, in Oakland and other places to actually get on the train because the trains are full uh, so 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 rapidly with the extensions that are going out. I, I, I didn't even think of that as somebody who always gets on the train in the South Bay. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be really frustrating. So what does that add up to then? Is, is, is it necessarily going to be a major challenge for BART to have this extra segment and, and the extra costs that go along with it uh, during a time where there might not be the ridership to meet it? So there's two answers to that question. The general answer, which is, you know, most people don't really care how we pay our bills. They just want us to pay them. Um, that this is a pretty modest incremental expense for public transit to open these stations when you already have the big system that you have opening up a station. Well, it doesn't cost nothing is, is, is not significant. As far as BART is concerned, which is under enormous amounts of financial strain, which we should get into as a result of this COVID-19, um, they're fine because the taxpayers of Santa Clara County are paying for this bill. Yeah, well, and it, it seems like just about all transit agencies at this point are relying on some form of external support. I believe that there's uh, federal money that's been put up to help uh, local transit agencies. Correct. So the Bay Area received about $1.3 billion from the leadership of Nancy Pelosi and a lot of Bay Area members of Congress. We're very grateful. Uh, the commission I work for has been uh, allocating those funds out to BART and to VTA in the South Bay and other places. We're going to be doing that again in another month or so. Um, and these funds have been critically important um, to keep the transit systems going, but they're likely to run their course here shortly. And systems like BART, which rely very heavily on people using it to pay the bills, systems like Caltrain do too. If the customers don't come back, um, BART's going to have to make some very painful adjustments, which you know no one's looking forward to. What do we know about people's willingness to go back? Uh, do, do we have any sense of how apprehensive travelers in the Bay Area might be at this point of just you know going back into those cars or going back into crowded places? I think the evidence right now, both from surveys that have been taken that I know about, polls that have been taken, expectations by employers that have been published, is a significant reluctance by employees to come back to work and use public transit. Uh, it's kind of a twofer. I mean, not only is the Bay Area, many parts of it dependent on public transit, but the office environment itself was built around collaboration and density. And I think employers, their expectations of their employees and employees, their expectation of their employees, of their employers have shifted significantly. And if people can do the work at home, I think there has been a significant shift to allow it, uh, which leads me to believe that 
public transit is going to be one of the last things that recovers from this. It'll likely be in the world of sporting events and congregations and parties and concerts that large groups of people getting together who you don't know uh, is likely the last thing people are going to be comfortable doing. So I think systems like BART and Caltrain and the ferries uh, who very much dependent on customers to pay their bills are, are likely to be affected by this for a longer period than let's say a system that largely gets most of its money from, um, from tax revenues. So certainly a lot of uncertainty ahead and potentially, as, as you suggested, if things don't go right, uh, potentially some big cuts looming on the horizon as well. I, I wonder what should the messaging from these transit agencies be at this point in terms of the safety of their systems? I was speaking to some of the uh, operators for BART today and they were saying that they do have a plan in place to keep passengers safe. They're going to be cleaning the cars. They're going to be spacing out passengers within the cars. It, is 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 it reasonable for these transit agencies to say come on back uh, just stay socially distanced it's it's safe to come on back or or should uh, the messaging be a little bit more cautious so look uh, uh, bart has done just a fantastic job uh, to put together a 15 point plan of things that they're doing you've mentioned some of them there are other things that they're doing to to make sure that customers are safe and can have confidence when they ride BART. They're taking guidance from healthcare professionals. There are some things that that just are really difficult to resolve. And you know, BART, the word mass transit exists for a reason. There's a large number of people who use it. And BART's business model has its trains filled. In some cases, uh, the trains I ride are, I can barely get on, they're so tightly packed. Um, in this environment, BART's going to have to be able to run an operation where that, that business model is going to be changed because they can't have people packed that tightly. They're going to have to, it's a big challenge to figure out how they're going to have that work when trains could be filled up to their now safe level with social distancing. These are all very unique challenges and, um, the transit districts are, have a very significant effort in order to try to overcome these challenges, but they're working on it, and we've never faced anything like this before. Yeah. All right. So we're going to dig into a few more transit questions uh, in the coming minutes. But real quick, I want to remind our listeners that they are listening to KCBS In-Depth. Today on the program, what's in store for Bay Area commuters as we begin to open the region back up? We're discussing all things transit with Randy Rentschler. He, once again, is the Director of Legislation and Public Affairs for the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. And, you know, we were using that term uh, disruption earlier in the conversation. It's not just been disruption for transit planners. It's also been a real-time disruption for passengers too. Uh, for exa- I mean, you were talking earlier about the fact that service has been cut in a lot of places. We've seen hours reduced. We've seen a lower frequency of trains. Uh, one of my housemates in particular, uh, he has been stuck at work for you know hours each evening because the train that he wants to take, it only comes every hour and a half. And so he's basically stuck staying you know maybe an hour later than he would really like to. And uh, I'm sure many other passengers throughout the Bay Area are in a similar situation. What can we say about the possibility for more service returning and uh, riders that really, really need this to get to important places, uh, their life getting, you know, a little bit more on kilter. So again, there's a lot there. Let's take on the last part. 
public transit for those who really need it. Um, this is uh, this is an item of of a lot of conversation and analysis about how public transit can continue to be there for those workers who absolutely have no other option. They don't necessarily own a car, um, but they still need to get to the office. Uh, a lot of people are able to work from home, but that's not true for everybody. And that notion is a very significant concern uh, to, to every transit operator and to the agency I work for as well. As far as how to solve that problem, uh, I think we're just gonna have to make some suboptimal choices. Um, Public transit, as your friend is experiencing, uh, is able to, to reach as much geography as it can and to carry as many people as it can. It just can't do it as frequently as it once did with the revenue sources, both at the fare gate and also at the tax level going down. And this is a really unhappy set of choices that policymakers uh, have to choose from. And and you see that being the situation for the foreseeable at the moment? I, I do. I don't know how long foreseeable is. Uh, I think a <laughs> lot of people a lot of people think that either a handful of things are going to happen. Uh, one thing is is that this health crisis burns itself out, and uh, society is able to get to a place where the COVID nineteen virus is unable to infect as many people. People get more comfortable with the risks and they make behavioral changes, uh, such as wearing masks, a regular part of their life. And the United States, like other countries have, is able to get on the front end of this. Um, I think a lot of people are just betting on a vaccine in order to have normalcy back. I think what we have to do on the government side is kind of hope for the best and plan for the worst. And that's, that that's the thing that keeps us awake at night. Yeah, well, you raise the issue of the worst. I mean, we're we're talking about pretty difficult choices that are being made and pretty dire situations. Would the worst be some of these agencies going belly up and us losing some of the transit options when this is all over? So that that will not happen. Um, and I, I think everyone needs to understand that um, public transit is a taxpayer supported service. It will exist in some form, in every in every instance, it will exist in some form. The question is, it has to get sized to the revenue streams that it has. And right now we're to bridge a very painful and difficult time when our revenue streams are essentially um, closing down because of money we got from the federal. But within the next fiscal year, there will have to be a reckoning with getting each and every transit system to the size that its revenue base can sustain. And systems like BART and Caltrain and the ferries and Golden Gate, which are very high performing systems with respect to fare box recovery, are, are gonna feel it. Um, as are other systems that are dependent on certain taxes. Everyone is looking for this year to hopefully see some change and eyeing next year to know that some very difficult decisions would likely have to be made uh, un unless um, the ridership comes back, the economy comes back, or somehow this health emergency is handled either through the form of a vaccine or, or a societal change in order to slow it down. Hmm. All right. So some potentially grim scenarios on the horizon. Let's talk about the other potential impacts that this 
lockdown and uh, all this disruption may have on transportation in the last couple of minutes that we have left. I mean, I suppose one side benefit to all this, let's find some silver lining since we've gone through all this uh, grim territory. One of the side benefits has been uh, with fewer people on the roads, there's been more opportunities for construction crews to get out there and uh, make some real headway on some projects. Uh, Have have we seen some major progress made on some of these uh, uh, transit construction projects out there? So the answer, there is some good news here. And I don't mean to be gloom and gloomy about this. I, I think yeah. the key is, is to give people a real sense of the challenges that, that policymakers are facing. These are of very difficult circumstances. And because we received all this federal money, we've been able to postpone the consequences thus far. But the consequences will eventually uh, come to bear. On the construction side, you know, BART, of course, who has a lot of construction going on, including very challenging construction on their right of way. You know, BART is not the young system that it used to be. Uh, it is in San Jose for sure, but it's not for most of the system. <laughs> and uh, you know, they've had to uh, they've had to basically rebuild their right of way. You know, while train services and and the amount of windows that they had to work on their system was very difficult when times were really busy. So they've certainly made some adjustments and are getting some significant economic benefit from being able to get out there and work on their railroad, and they've been doing that aggressively. There's been a handful of big highway jobs, one particularly in San Francisco, where the Alameda overpass was rebuilt. That was going to be a huge traffic jam, and Caltrans, Caltrans was able to get that done pretty quickly. There's been some other maintenance work. I, I suspect people around the Bay Area have noticed that local streets and roads and sewer work and things like that have picked up because they don't have to worry about coning off busy roads. They can just go in there and do it. Um, but I think these are on the margins. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that it takes a long time and we have a lot of process in order to build anything in the Bay Area and in California. So while we've been able to take advantage of some maintenance items, uh, I think people need to keep their expectations in line with respect to how things really, really happen in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, well, and especially here in the Bay Area. Uh, I guess last point that I want to uh, toss at you, just curious for your perspective on what you think that the lasting impact is going to be from this lockdown and all these disruptions that we've been discussing. Perhaps it's a little bit too early, but uh, maybe we can just uh, take a stab at pr- prognosticating nonetheless. Well, it's always fun to speculate about what all this means, so uh, I will certainly enjoy doing so. Um, Might as well. Yeah, I think a couple of things. I think the most important thing is that while the built environment and transportation in particular um, is a really important aspect of our lives, the fact of the matter is is that it serves a larger purpose. It serves our economy, it serves where the jobs are, it serves where people wish to live. And I, I think a handful of lasting impacts will be here as a result. I think one thing is is that all the talk for years and years about trying to get people to telecommute and work at home, to try to relieve the pressure to continue to build more and more and more capacity on the transportation side has likely found its place. And I do believe employers across the board are gonna figure out that they don't need everyone in every single day. I think they've also discovered the limits of that, uh, the notion that Everyone can just work far away from a setting where they never meet and interrelate and um, can build all that goodwill, uh, which is how people function. Um, they're they're going to find the limit, and they can't have none of it. They're going to have to figure out that balance. 
on the public transit side, I think this is a significant and long-lasting impact on public transit. Um, people behave the way they behave for lots of reasons, and I think there's going to be a significant hesitation, uh, even when it is completely safe for people to get back on public transit and experience that really crowded public transit trip that they used to either put up with or not mind. I do think people are going to shift to their cars. And I think that we in the transportation world have to figure out a way to handle, which I think is going to be a very challenging uh, situation on our on our roadways. And uh, another development that we've sort of seen gathering force during this lockdown is the notion that some streets should be closed off more for pedestrians and not for cars. Uh, you're hearing that as various cities try to carve out space for restaurants to have outside dining in San Jose, San Jose al fresco. So uh, are, might we see this be the pivotal moment for uh, various groups that are, are, are looking to see more pedestrian, pedestrian friendly cities? Is this going to put some wind in their sails? Look, I, I like that. I like that idea and that question. I do think what's occurring with COVID-19 is that societal trends in some cases are being accelerated greatly. You know, kind of the stress on the shopping mall or department stores and following a bankruptcy of businesses that were headed in that direction already. And I think that same is true with accelerating trends that have been out there for a long time and also aspirational trends by people who want more pedestrian-friendly cities and more bicycle riding in a sense that the car prevents these activities from happening, be it eating outside in an environment where it's not so noisy. Um, so I do think that there are a handful of things uh, that we're going to experience as a result of this, one of which is, of course, working remotely. But I think another one is the built environment is going to change in some places. And you know, look, the car is so critically important to our society, but it doesn't have to dominate everywhere. And if cities can find a few places where they can have pedestrian-friendly streets, more bicycles, uh, I think that's a great move. That um, we only have so much right-of-way out there, and giving some of it from the cars, or taking some of it from the cars and giving it for other uses, uh, I happen to think is maybe one of the few good things that we might experience as a result of this. All right. Well, a lot of interesting perspective there and uh, a lot still to unfold as the reopening process continues. We have been speaking today to Randy Rentschler, the Director of Legislation and Public Affairs for the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. Randy Rentschler, thanks so much for joining us. Keith, thanks for having me and keep up your good work. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Be well. We'll see you next time. been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.